This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here in Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Hey, if it's Thursday Eastern, you can call us throughout the hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the new book, Switchers. How smart professionals change careers and seize success. Dream Team is in studio today, Michelle and Dion, which always makes this show fun. And they're ready to take your phone calls right now, 844-942-7866. So, hey, what's new and exciting in career news Minternships, minternships, making a career change mid-career by taking on internships or a step back in level to get on a new trajectory. So my thought on this is that being on the right career ladder, even if you're starting a few rungs back, is better than being on the wrong one and being at the top. But what do you think? 844-942-7866. Would you do a minternship if you're looking for a career change? Let us know. We want to hear from you. So today, we are very excited. It's Thursday, open calls as always. And we're going to talk about a, an interesting topic. So there's a lot of pressure for, for young professionals, for all professionals to succeed, leading to higher rates of depression and anxiety, questionable ethics about college admission scandals, and pressure to do more, do better, and win. How do we get to this point, and what can be done to shift this path before things get more out of hand. Well, to help us with that topic, today we welcome Richard Carlgaard, award-winning entrepreneur turned publisher, columnist, Arthur, television commentator, private investor, and board director. You are true switcher, Rich, and he offers a unique vantage point on trends, driving business as the publisher of Forbes magazine. He's written a number of books, the latest of which is Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Welcome to Career Talk, Rich. Delighted to be with you, Don. Well, so excited. So let's let's just dive right into this. What is a late bloomer, Rich? Well, you can you can use a chronological definition and a metaphysical definition. The chronological definition is somebody who comes into their own. That means that they achieved their their full potential, and they really feel excited about it later than expected, later than society expects them, later than their family and teachers might expect them, and they often surprise people when they do come into their own. The more metaphysical description is, you know, you've arrived at that sweet spot, that intersection of your your truest gifts, your deepest passions, passions so deep that you'd be willing to sacrifice for them, and as a consequence, you feel pulled towards some kind of a destiny as opposed to being pushed by the expectation of others. So as somebody who's had a number of careers, author, television commentator, investor, board director, entrepreneur, I mean, where where is the bloom in there for you, Rich? It seems like you had multiple blooms in your career. People can bloom at multiple times. They can keep coming into new discoveries of their capabilities and their sense of mission. But I started from the point where at age 25, despite having a college degree from a good college, that I was incapable of taking on adult life, that I was incapable of holding a job uh, any more responsible than dishwasher, night watchman, temporary typist. Nothing wrong with those jobs, but if you just graduated from, from a good school, you can do better. I was incapable of doing better, and I really didn't come into my even begin to touch my full adult capabilities until my late 20s. So I've always self-identified as a late bloomer. When things began to bloom for me, they bloomed rather rapidly, and I'm very fortunate. 
So what so is- I wanted to sh- share my story and see if there was any way that I might be able to help people, particularly today, because opposed to when I came up, um, there's far more pressure to succeed early today. Yeah, and you you already read my mind because I was going to ask you what inspired you to write this book. And I know when I was, you know, late teens, early twenties, I think the the worst thing in the world was if you failed your driver's test or something. You know, that was that was the worst thing that could happen. But now, especially with social media and and the ability to see what everybody else is achieving and doing in their lives, I think there's a pressure like never before. We weren't able to do that when I was when I was in college. So how has that impacted students today or young adults today who are thinking about their careers? Well, today it's far more difficult to get into colleges than it used to be. Um, You look at some of the elite universities in the United States and they have 3% admissions rates. And then you look at at schools that were once thought of as safety schools, you know, where they basically took anybody and even they, uh, schools like that. um, I'm thinking of former party schools like Long Beach State and schools like that in California where I live. And uh, even they've become more difficult to get into. And uh, kids today have to demonstrate that they can do well on standardized tests. They can do well in grades, particularly in advanced placement courses. And there's a whole lot of pressure there as if at age 16 or 17, when you sit down and take the SAT test, that that somehow represents this one hinge point in your whole life that is going to be predictive of your whole life to come, which is nonsense. Well, it's nonsense. I'm living proof of that because I've taken the SATs twice and I've gotten the same low score. People would be shocked at my low score. Dion's laughing. but <laughs> Well, a- 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 after this interview, we can compare our low scores. Yeah, no, I, I will. And I've, it's interesting because somebody actually asked me, I have a PhD and I was interviewing for jobs after I had earned my PhD and somebody literally in an interview asked me my SAT scores and I had to say, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you want to know my SAT scores? That is so interesting. Um, I didn't get the job, and I'm blaming my SAT scores. But it was so interesting to me how that number had such an impact when it was something that had happened 10-plus years ago and that we use these these personality tests, SATs, ACTs, GMATs, MCATs, IQ, all of this stuff. And it sticks with people, and people look at this as a you, you've made it or you haven't made it, and it's, it's so prevalent, Rich. Yes, it is. And and you asked why it's more prevalent today and schools are harder to get into. But if you look at the two most lucrative parts of the U.S. economy over the last 15 years, they've been without a doubt, let's call it Silicon Valley kinds of technology. And by that, I mean it broadly because I mean Amazon, Microsoft, companies outside of Silicon Valley, too, and the high end of financial services. So to shorthand, call it Wall Street or hedge funds, those sort of organization. Now, if you're Google or Goldman Sachs, you have a bias for people who scored really well on their SAT test because if you're a software uh, company, there is a correlation between how well you did on your math SAT and how well you're going to do as a software programmer right out of the gate. Not so much three years in. Right out of the gate, it's true. And the same thing with high-end financial services. If you are an 800 math SAT score, you've probably got the kind of rapid-fire brain that will do well with high-frequency trading and things like that. Now, even Google, where the two founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, used to ask people what they got on their SATs when they interviewed them when Google was still a smaller company. By the way, Jeff Bezos did the same thing at Amazon, would actually ask people what they got on their SATs. They don't no longer do it because Amazon's too big for Bezos to get involved in interviews at that level. But there was a real bias for those kinds of people. And I think that has trickled back into the educational system. Parents look into the economy tomorrow where technology is accelerating. There seems to be a centrifuge that's put uh, people and companies and industries into it. And it's spinning faster and faster, sorting out winners and losers more brutally than before. And people are kind of terrified. So they 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 double down, they triple down on doing the thing that is a sure thing, which is doing to the best of their abilities on the tests and grades and getting to an elite school and, and trying to get that great first job. Yeah, and I think people see that, that it, you know, if you don't start early, then everything else builds because you have some brand names or you have some, uh, you know, 
great schools or whatever you have there. And then it kind of just opens the door to new opportunities. And it's such a a pressure cooker for young people who have no idea what they want to do or have not even experienced enough to even be thinking about what it's like to be in a in a real job. Hey, if you're a parent out there and you have a, a college-age student or a young adult in your life who's struggling with this pressure and maybe a late bloomer, this is a great show for you to be listening to because we're going to talk about different options. We're going to talk about the six strengths of late bloomers and the fact that there's so many options that are not defined by some of these these tests and and stages of of normal development and all the other things that we've been conditioned to think are the right path. So maybe you want to give us a call 844-942-7866 if it's Thursday we're live taking all of your calls. It's always open calls on Thursday. So maybe you haven't figured out what you want to do and you're thinking, "Okay, I'm a late bloomer and how can I figure out my next step? We are here for you all hour, 844-942-7866. And today we have Richard Carlgard, award-winning entrepreneur turned publisher, columnist, author, and many, many other things, and has a great book out called Late Bloomers that we are talking about right now. So, so okay, so in addition to all of these tests, Rich, we have all of these things that we see constantly in our face, 30 under 30 lists and, you know, 40 things you should achieve by age 40 and all of these things. There's nothing that's like, hey, top 30 failures and you're doing OK. There's none of the lists like that. So everything we see is about awards, prizes, bestsellers. There's heroes out there and all the Marvel movies. I mean, we're seeing all of this stuff. And I think what we do is we compare ourselves and we say we're not doing enough. How do you combat that? Well, and you're absolutely right. It's social media is this giant accelerator of all of that, of all of what you talked about. Uh, there's a saying in in uh, 12-step groups, never uh, compare your insides to other people's outsides. And social media is this giant curator of the best version of people's outsides. And in the media, including Forbes, you know, we pioneered the 30 under 30 list, and we have a lot of conferences around the world. And and uh, the editor who who uh, came up with that idea, Randall Lane, um, came up with a brilliant idea. Um, and and it's a good franchise for us. So I don't want to in any way diminish the accomplishment of early bloomers. What I'm arguing for is that if you're not an early bloomer, realize that there are many, many other paths that you can take, that the early bloomer sorting mechanism source for a certain narrow range of skills and attributes, and, and people who have those skills and attributes do well, and everybody else is excluded. And I would like to be everybody included, particularly at this moment in American history, with what's going on in the economy and society, we need more inclusion for sure. Because uh, we're in a dangerous situation, I believe. I'm, I know I'm veering off into politics, and this is as far as I go. But but the but a lot of the acrimony out there and the anxiety and really results from people feeling like they're excluded. Yeah, and you know, and I'm you brought up a couple of things that I want to touch on, and and one is generational because I do think what people are valuing as success is changing. I think if you look at you know Boomers versus Gen X versus you know X and Y that are coming up, people value balance in their careers. They value experiences over things, and you know the younger generations are looking at at social impact and they want to have a make a difference in the world. So I'm I'm curious how this will shift what a you know technical bloomer is as the generations kind of move through one of my missions in late bloomers is to simply point out the problem that we've got such an excess emphasis on test scores and grades and, and early achievement and not and not just in academics in sports too you can't just take up basketball in ninth grade because it looks interesting to you and and try out for the team. My God, if you haven't been playing since age eight and gone to summer camps and all that kind of stuff, you find yourself way behind the curve. This is really economically discriminatory, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. because who can afford the sports camps? Who can afford SAT tutors? So I really, when you think about the full range of human capabilities, you think about creativity, you think about emotional intelligence, you think about hand-eye coordination and the kinds of people who would be really good at skilled trades like carpentry. And if you're not, if, if you don't 
fall into that category where you're really good at rapid algorithmic skills that translate to taking tests well and sitting still and getting great grades. If you have all these other kinds of skills and then maybe you have ADHD on top of that or some family issue on top of that, then rather than the system seeing your potential, all it does is see your, see your weaknesses. And I really wanted a, a kind of loud manifesto to say this is, this is not good for society. It's not good for human beings. It's profoundly unfair, and we're leaving so many people on the sidelines. And we're leaving them, um, we're leaving them in a state of uh, feeling anxious and inferior because they didn't perform well on a very narrow set of metrics. So let's, let's like break that and show, demonstrate, and schools got to get this, and parents got to get this, that there are a wide range of skills that will be rewarded psychically for people, spiritually, and yes, even the marketplace will reward people. I mean, think about J.K. Rowling. She didn't really come into her own until her late 30s with the Harry Potter series. Now she's financially the most successful author of all time. And here she was, a single mother on public assistance in her 30s. So, I, and I like that your book has examples because, the, you know, all the examples we see out there are the fact that Steve Jobs started Apple at age 25 and, and there's all these people who achieved all these things very early in their life. And, of course, the people like me who've, who's reading that are like, well, it's too late for me. And then you have the J.K. Rowlings of the world and there's a number of other examples in your book of people who achieved fame and wealth and, and all these things later in life. But then it, it begs the question, if I don't get to that level at some point, did, did I fail? Did I, did I not make everything of myself that I could? Well, I'll go back to the more metaphysical description of what I think a late bloomer is. And I took license to come up with my own description because when I looked at the psychological literature and the medical literature, I didn't find any official description of what it meant. So I thought, well, this is this is green territory, I'll take it, let's, let's come up with one. And, and that is this idea that, that you've arrived at that intersection of your, of your strongest gifts combined with your deepest passions. That is, you have gifts, gifts you really feel excited about, and your passions are more far deeper than the kinds of passions you might have for a movie you saw last night or a, a kind of food that you ate. Every passion's probably overused as a word. Passion so deep that you're willing to sacrifice for it, that therefore it becomes a mission. And when you, when you have that and you feel pulled, then the financial results, all of that kind of stuff will take care of themselves. The important thing is that you're being pulled toward a destiny that has your name on it because you feel like you're being able to use your full capacities and you're doing it in a way that doesn't cause burnout because you're being pulled, not pushed. You know, again, the results will take care of themselves. It's important to get in that place where you're feeling pulled. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. It's Thursday. Open calls, as always, 844-942-7866. Today, we are talking with Rich Carlgard, who is the author of the book, Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. And we are laying out all of the things around society that may make us feel less than. And later in the show, we're going to talk about how we can combat those. But maybe you are somebody who considers yourself a late bloomer. So you got off to an interesting start, but then found your calling or your passion or your special skill set that you made into what you are today and you want to share what that was like, we'd always love to hear your stories at 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if you haven't checked out my TEDx talk, you can go to Google Don Graham TEDx and learn how one conversation can open the door to a variety of new opportunities in the world of work. 844-942-7866. So, Rich, I'm, I'm curious if you're an early bloomer. I mean, what goes up must come down. Does that, does that mean that at some point you're going to fall? Uh, not necessarily. If you're an early bloomer and you really have that sense that you're being pulled toward your gifts and toward your destiny and toward your sense of mission, I don't think you will fall. But I'll give you an example of early bloomers who do fall. I interviewed uh, Carol Dweck, who teaches freshman psychology at Stanford, and she wrote a best-selling book in 2006 called Mindset. Really terrific book. And when I interviewed her uh, for this book a couple of years ago, she said that the freshmen she sees at Stanford today 
they should be happy. They should be turning cartwheels. And instead, they're brittle, exhausted, and don't want to mar their perfect records. You know, these these are people who are, who are already um, set to fall. Uh, they're set to fall because they they have been performing to other people's expectations their their whole lives. In a great uh, book that I cited uh, by by um, uh, Bill Burnett, um, it was called Designing Your Life. He writes about a woman who had just made partner at her high-profile, high-performance Silicon Valley law firm, and she had worked like crazy for you know 80-hour weeks, 90-hour weeks. This is after you know a great law school career and a great undergraduate career too, in order to set herself up for this. Finally, she gets to the place where she's named partner, which means that she's going to have seven-figure paychecks for the rest of her partnership at this law firm. And she ended up crying herself to sleep every night. At the end of the prize, a prize that was pushed upon her by others, she felt utterly, utterly burned out and empty. Yeah, it's interesting because um, we we how we define success for ourselves, how society defines success, our families, and all of these other pressures that we're looking at, um, it's really difficult to untangle all of them and say, what's going to make me happy? And I think that's why when I opened the show and I was talking about mid um, minternships, which are people who are mid-career going back to start over in a new career because a lot of people get pressured into moving in a specific direction because of of their friends, their family. They don't know what else to do and their their guidance counselors are telling them to do this, but then they're waking up and saying, you know what, this is not fulfilling. This is not what I want to be doing. And I now have an opportunity to make a change. Hey, 844-WARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk Series XM Channel 132. And we're going to go to the phones. Catherine in New Hampshire, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Hi, this is Jennifer. Hi, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Hi. I thought you said Catherine, sorry. I did uh, say Catherine, but that's only because that was in my okay. notes. But we, I've written it down that's now. Okay. It's Jennifer. No problem. <laughs> um, I'm calling in regards to my nephew, who is a sophomore in college, will, will be a sophomore in college next week. And he not a, he's not a late bloomer, um, very, um, very bright, but he is really feeling pressure to know what he wants to do in life as a sophomore in college because he feels like everybody else that he's going to school with knows exactly what they want to do. So I was looking for some advice to help with that. Yeah, great question. And I think I think the idea that you have to pick a major usually pretty early on is so stressful because I mean, one, we know that majors don't even usually correspond to what you do afterwards. But two, there's so much to explore at this stage, and it would be great to be open to to all of the options so you can figure it out. But, um, Rich, what advice do you have for Jennifer for her nephew? Well, thanks for calling, Jennifer. I really relate to that sophomore. I'll share my own story briefly. I simply did not have the ability to sit down and study for more than 15 or 30 minutes when I was in college, and I used to wander off after futile tries you know, in my political science studies, and I would go to the library and I would read back issues of Sports Illustrated. So I like to say that I majored in reading Sports Illustrated, which, of course, no employer, no grad school was impressed by that fact. And that's why I struggled in my, my mid-20s. But if you fast forward a few years after that, I had an opportunity with a friend at the dawn of the desktop publishing age to start what became Silicon Valley's first business magazine. And I was able to use all of that reading that I did, I, I, what I was doing, and I didn't know that I was doing at the time, was studying how a great magazine was made. And I also was able to do this, this sort of a trick of adjacency where I thought a business magazine should, should read more like a sports magazine because business is competitive and there are winners and losers and heroes and goats and all of that. It was a big hit. So I would say, you know, the, the, the sophomore in college who doesn't know what they want to do, they need to relax um, and figure out what really drives them. What are they really excited about? It may be something a little bit off the track, and there may not be any obvious grad school or career solution that pops out of that. But they have to have faith that if they're, if they're feeling like they're pulled toward their gifts and their destiny, that, it is, that the results will take care of themselves. 
And um, Jennifer, I'm wondering, has your nephew done any internships or any work studies or doing anything that's applied? He hasn't yet. Um, and he now has an intern to minors. Um, but he's not an internship. I know he was looking to try to do one next summer. Um, but no. Yeah, I think that's going to make a big difference because I think what happens in the classroom is very different than what happens in an office or on the field or whatever place he wants to do this internship. And he can do multiple ones. He doesn't even have to wait till next summer. I mean, maybe it sounds like he's got a pretty full course load if he's got a major and two minors, but maybe he backs off the coursework a little bit and instead finds a part-time job or finds some contract opportunities so that he can get some real world experience because that's where I find most people get their spark. Because what happens in the classroom is interesting. What happens in the real world is often very different. And I think if, you know, we always say on the show, clarity comes through action. And I think it's those actions. It could even be a volunteer role. Um, you know, maybe he volunteers to do tours for new students, or maybe there's, there's, um, conferences that are on campus that he can go to or he can be on a a board for one of the clubs that's there. Those types of experience really help people zone in to what they like to do. Maybe he likes to be a leader. Maybe he doesn't like to be a leader. Maybe he likes to organize all of the the, uh, meetings for the group. And so I think, one, doing those experiences and then, two, having somebody like yourself or a career coach to reflect, what did you really like about that? What didn't you like about that? And here are some careers that have those things are going to be, I think, more useful than taking on more minors or, or you know, taking on more coursework. So maybe he wants to shift that balance to get that, that applied experience. Is that helpful? Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's great advice. Yeah. Rich, go ahead. May, may, I, may I quickly add of course. that th- this is a great time to bring up the discussion of gap years that uh, I really became, came out of the research of late bloomers persuaded that gap years, that is taking a year or two off, oftentimes between the sophomore and junior year of college, to do something completely different. It could be mission-based. It could be doing a, a mission. Uh, it could be a secular mission. It could be a church-based mission. It could be a, go out and just getting a, you know, a crazy old job, um, a, a, a blue-collar job, a, you know, a job that really sort of forces you to be at your physical best or, or, or associate you with people who aren't the sort of people you grew up around. I think it's really important that 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 when you do these gap years, that the, that the person taking them has to be responsible. That is, they can't be uh, supported by a paycheck from the parents when they're going out and doing that, because then I think it, the, the the true learning doesn't occur. But uh, but consider a gap year. Consider um, consider everything from a mission to a roughneck job, um, hanging out with people you don't ordinarily hang out with. Yeah, I love the idea of a gap year. I love the idea of a non-traditional path. And I think that's something that we are so tied to get it done, get it done. You know, I graduated college in three and a half years because I couldn't wait to get it done and get on to the next step. But, you know, honestly, that that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do because I could have taken more classes or gotten involved in, in other extracurricular activities. But I think we are so... Um, attuned to pushing people into these these four-year paths or you know you got to do this then this then this and I think that's the whole point of your book Rich is that you know what there are a lot of ways to get from point A to point B and sometimes those detours that you take whether it's a gap year whether you take a year off to work or, or join the Peace Corps or whatever it is those are the types of things that really are life changing because you discover who you are and you reflect in a way that isn't about term paper and midterms and exams and you step away from all that and you get to really understand yourself so I love that suggestion and if you have the opportunity to do those things those detours are often what makes you figure out what you want to do Jennifer thank you so much for giving us a call on career talk hey if you want to ask a question of rich if you're a late bloomer or if you're thinking maybe um, you know someone who is and they've come out and figured out what they want to do share that tip with us we are here all hour at 844-942-7866 but right now we have to go to our pre-break quiz quiz there's a quiz 
Okay, it's about food. Um, there's my hint, Dion. Until 100 years wait, wait, ago. Wait, wait, wait. That's it? That, well, it's a good hint. Okay. Well, it's not really. Until 100 years ago, caviar was so common, it was served as a free bar snack because the saltiness would encourage more drinking. So, this now expensive delicacy, not caviar, a different one, was once a staple protein for prisoners and those with limited means due to its overabundance. This now delicacy once was a staple in prisons. Would you think you know? 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we will be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here in Business Radio. And we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. Hey, if you're not following me on Twitter, at Dr. Don Graham, you can also submit questions there if you're not able to call in on Thursdays when we're live, open calls. As always, every Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So today we are talking all about late bloomers and Rich Carlgaard's book, the Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Rich Carlgaard is the publisher of Forbes Magazine. And Rich, where can people reach you if they'd like more information after the show? Yes, you can go to uh, Late Bloomer. That's singular, not bloomers. Latebloomer.com or richcarlgaard.com. Fantastic. So we talked in the first part of the show about all of the challenges that, that society and social media and all of these these um, you know psychological tests or SATs and all these other things create this idea that we have to achieve more, we have to be better, we have to win. So I want to talk in the second half of the show a little bit more about, okay, we know this is happening. We're not going to just shut off social media and turn off the TV and become a hermit. So how can we deal with this, especially if we have young adults in our life who are struggling and anxious and depressed because they're not able to figure out what they want to do or they're seeing other people getting further than them. So that's what I want to talk about in the second half of the show. So um, you have a lot of tips in your book, and you, you actually talk about six strengths of late bloomers. Can you, can you mention a few of those, Rich, and, and how they can help people who are struggling with not being further in their careers right now? Um, yes, but I want to spend just a minute talking about why people should feel a little more relaxed about their prospects for fulfillment and success throughout their lives. And that has to do with the neuroscience of how the brain develops. First of all, we know that uh, most people don't become fully adult by any reasonable definition until their mid to late 20s and some people even until their 30s. And a 2015 study done by Harvard and MIT asked the question, at what age do we cognitively peak? And the answer is very intriguing and complex. depends on what cognitive ability we're talking about. And so rapid algorithmic processing speed, the kind of thing that makes you really good at an SAT test, sure enough, tends to peak in our teens and early 20s. But the whole set of neural and psychological attributes that make us better communicators, more empathetic, better leaders, wiser leaders, only begins to kick in in our 30s and 40s and 50s. So my advice is lean into who you're becoming, not who you were. Don't have regrets about what you didn't accomplish, but look forward to who you're becoming. I think uh, of, when we talk about unique strengths of late bloomers, the number one is uh, curiosity. I mean, go back to what Carol Dweck, the Stanford professor, said about her brittle, exhausted uh, freshman students at Stanford who were early achievers. They basically were asked to trade their youthful curiosity for a determined focus, and it brought them to a point of exhaustion. And it's going to be very difficult for those people to get their curiosity back because the whole, all of their value systems, you know, said that curiosity is somehow subordinate to getting the immediate job done. But when you talk to employers, Fortune magazine did a, did a cover story and talked to some high-profile CEOs like 
that of Genentech and Intuit and asked, what's the number one attribute you look for an employee and curiosity was, 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 was it. You, that it's almost a moral obligation to be curious. If you're going to advance and learn, it starts from a bedrock of curiosity. Well, late bloomers tend to have that because they, they refuse to go along with this idea that they have to trade their curiosity for a determined focus, or they didn't know how to do a determined focus, so they, they're left with their curiosity. Yeah, and, and, you, um, and I want to kind of tag into that, because when you're fo- focused on getting an A on the midterm and studying for the test and that type of mindset, you're not focused on curiosity. You're, if you're afraid to ask a question because you might be perceived as looking silly, you're, you're not focused on that curiosity. And I would say, because I know another one of those those strengths is, is insight or reflection, I would say both of these have become somewhat of a lost art because we carry a cell phone around and we're not, we don't sit there and think anymore. We, we we go from app to app, trying to find the answer we need. We don't really, we don't really struggle because we're not making mistakes because the GPS will get us right there. And so, is that a part of why people are struggling with this, Rich? Yeah, I, I think that they don't have faith that these other neurological and psychological attributes will kick in later, and so they panic. Um, they panic because maybe they weren't these really good algorithmic test takers, etc. But Insight, boy, one of the stories that I told in my book, Late Bloomers, was that of the football coach, Bill Walsh, who was the great San Francisco 49ers coach of the 80s. He won three Super Bowls. He turned the franchise around. He left the franchise in shape to win two more Super Bowls after he stepped down. And in his late 30s, he was still so late blooming that, uh, that he was coaching at the, at, at the semi-professional level. I mean, which is really low down in, 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 in football hierarchy. But one day he was watching his high school basketball team practice a full-court press uh, because his team practiced on a high school football field. And after practice was over, he walked in. He, he was curious to see what was going on inside the gym. And from the idea of how you inbound a ball against a full-court press, it suddenly occurred to him, what if you could design a passing game in football that looked like you're inbounding a ball against a full-court press? And so he developed what today is called the West Coast offense. It's still dominant in professional football. It involves short passes, a lot of screens. And that was an insight that he got in his late 30s that proved to be extremely, extremely valuable. So insight actually is a later blooming quality because we have to have the ability to see something novel, but then stack it up against our whole life's experience and that which we've learned before Mm -hmm. and then see if that creative insight is actually really valuable. In the case of Bill Walsh, it was. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 132. We are here with Rich Carlgard, who is the publisher of Forbes magazine and author of Late Bloomers. We're going to go back to the phones with Joanne in California. Welcome to Career Talk, Joanne. What's on your mind today? Hi. Hello. Hey, Joanne. My question Hi, my question is, why don't high schools and colleges give, like, really extensive tests so that you sort of get an idea of what your strengths are and where you might want to look first? Because I'm on my fourth career. <laughs> we love switchers, Joanne. We love switchers. Well, and, and imp- well, after the crash, I had no choice, and I took one of those tests. And it was helpful to me in that, like, the top ten were all creative. I'm like, yeah, I already know that, but I need to make money now. And so the next set enabled me to sort of focus in some directions of things that I had strengths in that could make money on a steady basis. Well, I am with you that things need to change in the schools. And I think we, we actually we have done a whole nother show on that because you're absolutely right. And I would say I would say strengths change and morph. And to your point, Joanne, of having to make a, a, a change in your career, I think that's going to become more and more frequent as new industries emerge, as technology takes over certain things and as globalization continues. So I think that agility is going to be so important. And somebody who's only good at one thing is going to find themselves in a very difficult position. But, but Rich, why, why don't more schools do these types of things and, and at the younger levels? Well, I think we fell into this trap 
that because the economic data showed that people with college degrees earn more than people without college degrees, that therefore everybody should go to college. I firmly believe everybody should have the opportunity to go to college, and we need to remove the expense barriers and all of those kinds of things that prevent that. That doesn't mean that everybody should. It doesn't mean that everybody should right away. Some people aren't ready for it. I think one of the mistakes we made along the way is that skilled trades get the short shrift. Only one out of 20 public high schools offers a skilled trades track. And skilled trades, particularly today at the intersection of a classic skilled trade like carpentry or welding, along with um, robotics and information technology, is where a lot of great jobs will be created. And there are a lot of people who, because they have great hand-eye coordination, all of those kinds of things might be able to excel on that track, whereas sitting these students in, in a classroom for several hours a day and putting their noses in books don't bring out their best at all. So I think that exposure to more opportunities would be, would be really valuable. And to your point, Don, people do. Sometimes uh, uh, people, um, e- even, even in those kinds of tests that might expose them to their natural gifts, their natural gifts are going to change over time. Or they're going to find out, let's say, uh, these tests say that they would. this person might really be good in psychology. They're naturally empathetic. They're curious. They like human interaction. But the problem is, is that to become a psychologist, they have to take an academic track that is pretty rigorous, and and they might not do well on that. So they're blown out of the water right away and get discouraged. Mm-hmm. No, totally agree. But just in case you do want to be a psychologist and you've gotten – Poor SAT scores. No, it's possible. It's still possible. I'm living proof. Well, we still have to compare our poor SAT <laughs> I know, scores. I know. I know. I know. All right, Joanne, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Great point. You're listening to Sirius XM Channel 132. We're going to go to Brian in Georgia. What's on your mind today, Brian? Well, I have a daughter who just graduated college with a degree in communication. Uh, like digital media, I think, was a specialty for that. And she's, you know, going through uh, junior high and high school, she was held back a year early on and always had a self-conscious piece of that. She did fine in high school with B's and C's and an occasional A. She was scared to death of college, and uh, my coaching and guidance on college was it's not all about being smart. That's part of it, but you got to do the work. And, and read and attend classes and learn. And, and she did, and she graduated well, like with a 3.7. But she can't get a job now. She's been out. She graduated in May, and she's, she's got herself on, on Indeed, on LinkedIn, Monster. She's sending Oop. applications in yeah. 10, 15 a day. Yes, you answered and, your own question. I'm going to jump in. I know exactly what the problem okay. is. Indeed and Monster and 10 to 15 applications a day. That is that you hit all of my my points. Here's the thing. I'm glad she has a profile on LinkedIn. I have not seen it, but I would recommend that she work with her career coaches at her university to make sure it's reflective of her brand. And what I would say is this, networking, because there are a number of people in her position, especially in communications and and media, who are looking for jobs and want to get their foot in the door, probably more so than their open roles. And what happens is, what we know is that people who network get access to roles that are not publicized on Indeed or other websites. And they also have a leg up if there are open jobs because it's always better to have a referral. And I think that if she shifts her strategy from applying to 10 to 15 a day and uses that energy to build her network, and that could be friends of yours, Brian, that could be neighbors, that could be her parents' friends, and really puts together a case of what she wants to do, the top 10 companies she's looking at, then she's going to be really successful. I'm going to recommend a book, The Two-Hour Job Search by Steve Dalton, who's been on the show a number of times. I think it's a fantastic process for people who are kind of struggling with this, and I think it would be super helpful to your daughter. But I'm going to let Rich jump in. And um, Rich, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think you also have to stick your nose in the game. I mean, it was embarrassing that uh, in my 20s that I was incapable of holding these college-bound jobs. But it was through being a temporary typist when I was age 26 that I ended up at a, at a research institute in Palo Alto, California, 
and they had a they had a gym, and uh, a lot of the engineers and scientists had got running at noon, and I would join them, and um, the, they sooner or later came up, why are you in the temp typing pool? And I, I fessed up. I said, I really don't know. I don't know what I'm, I'm, I, I was meant to do in life. Um, I seem to have a hard time latching on to an adult career. And through that, they gave me a, a, a chance, a small chance, be, uh, to try my abilities as being a technical editor and a technical writer. And from there, I succeeded. And then all good things began to unfold. Now, you couldn't, that was then, and today is day with, you know, with Monster and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff, but I think that if I had tried to get that technical writing job through the equivalent of LinkedIn or Monster, it would have never happened. I had to be there. I had to be there and have the chance. Yeah, and you just you just reminded me of something else, um, Rich. So, Brian, one thing I would recommend to you is have your daughter look at, at temporary roles or contract roles or maybe short-term gig-type things because once you get in your foot in the door, you can build your network. People can see that you excel. And when a job does open up, you're going to be the front runner for that. So don't ignore those jobs that that are maybe part-time or other ways to get your foot in the door, because those can be some of the best ways to land a great full-time job. So I'm, I'm excited. I think, I think there's a lot of things that your daughter can do. They're going to open a lot of doors. So thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, Brian. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Cindy in New York, welcome to the show. It's on your mind. Today. Hi, can you, can you hear me? We can. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Um, I love your story. Uh, I love the idea of the book, Late Bloomer. I think it should be requi- required required reading for parents. Ooh, it's just really a comment nice. rather than um, a question because I feel like as parents, you know, there's so much pressure for your child to be, you know, doing all the right things, this last caller who said his daughter didn't excel in school, but, you know, did really well in college. I think that whole thing about curiosity and, like, just reaching out to people and you just don't know where it can land you and and making those connections is so important. And I think there's so many parents that have, like, blinders on and think, you know, it has to be this one track. And also the fact that some kids don't develop and, and find themselves until later. And, you know, if you put so much pressure on your kids to follow in, you know, a certain foot, you know, a certain way, that just might not work. We're all different. So anyway, I, I just like the idea of the book, and I think it should be with, I don't know if you've ever seen Blessings of a B-minus by Wendy Mogul. I think it should be required reading as well as that book. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, if you're a parent out there, <laughs> late bloomers, uh, required reading. I th- Great point, Cindy. And I do think that's it. I know parents have best intentions. They want the best for their kids and they want to move them in a direction of success. But, you know, in, to your point, Rich, that you talk about how there's an increase in depression and anxiety and because we can't figure it out or because we're looking at social media or all of these things are happening. And to Cindy's point, you know, we haven't even touched on things like neurodiversity and the fact that people have different strengths in different areas, and, and we didn't even dig into that. But um, I, the other thing you talk about in your book, Rich, is the the cult of tenacity and the fact that, you know, we, we don't encourage quitters. And sometimes quitting is the best path because it's, you know, it's not the right path for us. So I think all of these things are super important if either yourself or you have a young adult in your life who's struggling, maybe they need to take a break and try something else out. You know, there's going to be a long runway ahead of them. And finding what you want to do and finding what is interesting to you now, even if you take a couple of detours to do it, is so worth it. Thank you so much, Cindy, for giving us a call on Career Talk 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So we should answer our pre-break quiz. Ah, this now delicacy was once a staple protein for prisoners and those with limited means, Dion. What do you think it is? It's a food. Bone marrow. Okay, Michelle. (laughs) Mm. I'm going to go with um, escargot. Snails. Snails. Could be a lot of snails. Could be a lot of snails. All right, not snails. Um, Kyle in Michigan. 
Kyle, what's the answer? It's lobster. It's lo- Ooh, you say that with such authority. What makes you believe it's lobster? I just swear when I heard that question, I remember reading something about Maine, people in Maine, the prisoners there, complaining about eating lobster. Like Google five minutes ago? <laughs> no, no. I, no, I swear lobster and crab legs are my favorite food, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I've I, heard that before. Kyle sounds very sincere to me, and he's right. It is lobster. Once called the yeah. cockroaches of the sea. Have you heard that, Kyle? The cockroach, which ma- I love lobster too, but saying that term makes me like it a little bit less. Um, they used to be canned and even used as fertilizer and fish bait, so... Next time you pay a lot of money for a lobster, no, you're just born in the wrong time period. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, Kyle. Uh, I was expecting spam to be the answer. Oh, but... spam. Is that a delicacy now, Rich? It's not spam. Vegemite if you're in Australia. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Most of the foods that are delicacies, like caviar, I'm new. No, keep them. Keep your delicacies. Hey, so speaking of lobster, uh, I wanted to touch really quickly on your crab pot therapy because <laughs> it relates to the show. But I love this as a solution for for um, late bloomers. You talk about the fact that you know when you throw crabs in a pot, they pull each other back. And sometimes if you're not finding what you want, you have to repot yourself. So tell us a little bit about this as we wrap up the show, Rich. Sure. Um, repotting is this idea that there's a pot of soil out there that is that has your name on it, that is right for you. And you may be growing up, uh, obviously, if you grew up in a really dysfunctional family or dysfunctional community, you probably know that. You probably know you need to get out. The problem is when it's a little more benign than that. You have a lot of acquaintances at work, and you wouldn't really call them your friends, but they, they relieve boredom. You go out and hang out with them. You go to parties with them. And And then you begin to aspire to do something a little bit different, and you find out you're getting negative feedback from them. And this is when it becomes something you you really need to address and and think about developing a new set of acquaintances, not necessarily replacing or throwing out the old ones. But you've got to find the soil. That could be the right zip code. It could be the right set of friends and acquaintances. It could be the right industry. Um, It's better to choose when you're thinking about getting a job at a company. It's better to get a job, any kind of a job at a company that you admire, whose culture you love, who you feel is supportive, than targeting the perfect job at a company where the company culture may be antithetical to your values and needs and, mm-hmm. and won't inspire you at all. So this idea is is finding your right environment. Sometimes it's the people around you. Sometimes it's where you live. Sometimes it's the company culture. Sometimes it's maybe not even in what you do, but where you do it, how you do it, the structure of how you do it. So think about it. Sometimes one small change can change everything. Hey, thank you so much, Richard, for being on the show. One last time, Rich Carlgaard, who is the publisher of Forbes magazine and also the author of Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Michelle and Dion, of course, all of our callers and listeners, we are here for you every week on Career Talk Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham, and we will see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.